want to share across the team to join. And nice. Moments where we need to be silent. <laughs> Let's wait for our community to, to join us and to have the green lights from Mary on the backstage before we start the show. And we are live. It's confirmed. Nice. I can we can see both on the chat. Welcome to, to the Scale of Palette podcast, the podcast where we compress the best lessons to scale a company from 2 million to 100 million ARR, and hopefully in five to seven years by tripling two times and doubling uh, three times. We bring you the best tech leaders in the world, from the Valley to London to Prague today to uh, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, China, in order to share what are the lessons that we can learn from each other in this killing up journey that can be really overwhelming, but also very pleasant uh, at, at the same time. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming in the show, um, Matthias Vela. I've trained so much for this. So My mother would be proud. <laughs> Ma Matthias Vela, and, and you are the one who made me say it so well, CEO at Muse uh, System. Uh, Matthias, or Matt, let's, let's change now the, for the easiest version. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And perfect. So let, let's get to know more about yourself. Uh, we have a very good feeling. We are speaking for five minutes for the, for the ones who are joining. And yeah, great conversation, just short, short period of time. And I'm sure the audience will have a lot of fun getting to know you uh, as well. So uh, who did you, who, where do you come from and how did you end at Mies uh, System? So I'm, um, I'm Dutch originally, and um, very early on in my life, I knew that hotels was what I loved. Um, so, so at the age of four, the first time I stepped into a hotel and I experienced that hospitality, I knew that that was my mission for life. Um, so throughout my life, everything had been in that direction of becoming this general manager of a hotel. You know, did the hotel school, worked at Hilton for 10 years, um, and, and, and I just loved that industry. But I also struggled with the technology that we were using. Um, you know, you know, being at Hilton for almost a decade, the technology wasn't great, and it created really disjointed back office, but also front office experiences. And you know, I was running reception at an 800 bedroom hotel, and yeah, you get massive queuing and silly things that at an airport are solved. With, you know, with online check-ins, hotels still today haven't figured out how to solve, um, and. And in any hotel you go into, you still get in the queue at a reception desk and have right. not always the most personal experience. And I think that was really um, where I connected re really well with Richard, the founder of Muse, who was building a hotel. And he's like, there's no technological solution for what I want, which is getting rid of the reception desk um, and really going mobile and giving people tablets, like having a host walking around with a tablet and that lobby becoming a living room more than a place where you stand in the queue. And that's where we connected about eight years ago on that idea. Um, and, and I joined seven years ago. I decided to leave my corporate career, which was going very well, but you know, I was just bored with the progress in my career. Um, so we just jumped ship and, and you know, found a few developers and graphic designers and started out in a basement in Prague um, and started building from there. And that's seven years ago and today, we have offices in seven countries, 
We have clients in about 50 customer countries now with about 1,000 hotels. So we really scaled up quite rapidly, but a lot of that has happened in the last year um, where we've grown from last year, January, I think we were about 50 people and today we're 300 people. So we've really gone through a growth spurt in the last year and a half. Awesome. So these are an amazing uh, lessons to share today. Uh, 50 to 300, uh, you already have moved through a lot of crisis and a lot of systems uh, cracking. Uh, I would say 50 to 100, 100 to 150 to 200, and now 200 to 300. And now from 300 to 500, it's, it's also another stage where the systems will always keep in collapsing and, and we need to uh, change things, change teams, change systems. And uh, this is quite overwhelming in such a short, because it said that you grew from 50 to 300 in, in a year or so, or, or a little bit more. Yeah, correct. This is, wow, this is really hyper growth. It's not tripling, it's kind of 6x. I'm <laughs> doing the calculation well at, 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 the, at this Friday uh, and in the evening. Cool, and, and, and that's the point where we get in. So usually we always bring the Rockefeller habits to the discussion for the ones who are joining for the first time. Uh, the Rockefeller habits are a set of very simple principles that were invented by John Rockefeller, one of the most successful businessmen in the, in the story of, uh, of the United States. And uh, we all believe that uh, those were the habits that were responsible for him to create the empire that he has created. And uh, we will go through the first three of the 10 habits during this conversation. Uh, and as we were saying, I'm sure that from 50 to 300, uh, in order to keep your, and the number one, number one habit is the executive team is healthy and aligned. That's what I was saying. If you want to keep the team healthy and aligned, it also needs to change a lot of the team. And it might be very difficult when you change the team to keep everyone aligned, uh, especially because the priorities from 50 to 300 might also get a little bit diluted. Uh, and and, com and uh, conflict out there will uh, emerge uh, in the people side and also on the business side and the process side. So it, it's a perfect storm, as I like to uh, call it. So how was the evolution of founding team when I joined it seven years ago to leadership team 1.0, 2 .0, 3.0, and if you want to focus a little bit more on the next 12, on the last 12 months, uh, I think it would be great what, what iteration, what new VPs you brought in or C-level, uh, etc. So a very open question. Uh, feel free to kind of compress what you think would be more relevant. Sure. Yeah, we've got, we, we've been very lucky um, from the early days of finding very young talents. So, so me and Richard, um, you know, we're uh, the early team, but also Honza, our CTO, joined from day one of the company. Um, and he's really blossomed into that role. Um, our head of product was the number two in development and we actually, you know, he seemed very passionate about talking to customers and we moved him into this head of product role and he has truly developed incredibly well in that area. Um, and, 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 you know, in the last year with the scaling coming in, you know, the one person we brought into the team was a head of people, whereas up to 50 people we were like, oh, we don't need a HR team and we were really pushing back on needing you know, uh, bureaucracy is what HR stood for for me. 
Um, so we brought in a head of people end of last year and, and it's really elevated. Like she's now since then ramped up the recruitment teams. We've got seven recruiters full-time working for us, uh, head of employee engagement, all of these roles that I never actually envisioned needing. And I feel the pain in some of the growth we've gone through um, that we really needed that. So I think she's really been a game changer on our leadership team. We brought in last year a chief operating officer from the outside who who um, had been scaling up SaaS companies, but hadn't necessarily worked in our industry. And I think that was really quite an eye-opener, so, you know, bringing someone in who wasn't a hotelier um, and actually seeing, right, this can actually work. If you, you know, the, the hoteliering part we can teach you, but we need someone who's scaled up companies before um, and, and really elevate the level of the team. Whereas previously, we, you know, we would be like, oh, um, I don't know the answer, let's Google it. You can't, at the scale that we're growing into right now, we can't afford to Google answers. We have to have people that have lived it before. And I think the biggest lesson we learned last year, because if you go from 50 to 300 people, um, you know, most of the 50, they, they don't have the leadership skills. They're, they're great specialists in, in their own field. And we were promoting people so fast. And some people we had to pull back and say, oh, that was a mistake. You know, they weren't leaders. They were great specialists. And, you know, we almost ruined some people by moving them into these leadership roles really early on. And the shift we made last year was saying game changers is what we need. Because if you suddenly scale up to 300 and we'll be a thousand people in probably two years time, we need to have people that have already been working and scaled companies from 300 to a thousand so that they can answer these questions, you know, even before I ask them effectively. Um, and I think we'll go through another phase of that in our leadership team where, you know, sometimes not everyone will survive the phases we're going through, including me. I've never been a CEO to the size company that we are today. And we have to be honest, like, you know, at some point, my brain might not have the capacity to deal with the growth we're going through. I hope I hope I will. Um, fingers crossed. But, you know, I'm, you know, the value of the company needs to go up. And if, if I'm not able to deliver that, maybe there's someone who I can work with um, that will be able to drive that. Yeah, and having this ego aside, it's, it's really one of the most uh, amazing chances we have. I always, I always like to say that one of the main bottlenecks to scale a company is not an external challenge, it's an internal challenge. It's all the transformation that we need to go through from stage to stage and becoming a very different professional, being a CEO or any executive, any manager, any individual yeah. contributor in the company really needs to become a very different person uh, in order to keep growing quicker than, than the company. So it, it's really about self-awareness, self-transformation, which is critical to, to scale. Because again, the, what we are trying to do when scaling a company is uh, avoiding of dying of um, indigestion, uh, not of starvation, because those companies are not figuring out the market. They found product market fit, they are growing quite well. So we are really not trying to mess up and, and uh, be the first in the category. Uh, and again, this, this can be really, really challenging. Congratulations, that's an amazing story. And even more excited because you just said that you will more than triple again in the next uh, two years and, and now triple from 300. So which is uh, another kind of challenge, let's say. Yep. <laughs> when you say it like that, it worries me. I'm like, yes, yeah, so that's actually a big number, but um, it's inevitable. Like we, we see the excitement about what we've, br what we've brought, the investment we brought in last week. So last week we closed a round of investment of $33 million uh, to really help ramp up the scaling of our company. 
So it is inevitable that we'll go to those numbers in the near future. I'd like just to dig in a little bit out of uh, our roadmap for, for this call uh, on you. You are now the, the CEO and I assume that uh, Richard and kudos to Richard if, if I'm reading this well, uh, kind of uh, passed the, the, the responsibility of becoming the CEO of the company uh, to yourself, joining him uh, seven years ago. Uh, can, you, can you explain a little bit more about this why or yeah. what can be, of course, shared publicly? And second, uh, how was your own transformation? And uh, I'm not sure if this is your first time as a CEO or second or third time. Uh, so if you can split a little bit your explanation in these two, two topics, I think it would be also very uh, valuable. So Richard and I are very different people. Um, and I think that's what, what is also the success of, of our partnership. He, he dreams the big dreams and he has the great ideas. And I always say, you know, every night he goes to bed and he reads the entire internet. Like he's so passionate about learning about any topic under the moon. And I'm, you know, I'm all about um, structure and data and, and following procedures. And, and because we're so different, he, he naturally knew that, you know, he isn't the one that comes on time. He's always 30 minutes late for every meeting. Um, and, and that's just structurally in him. Um, and he knew that I was the person that would in the day to day, you know, I'd run a tighter ship. Um, but you know, the company wouldn't be what we are without his vision. You know, the, the, we do a SaaS product, but at the same time, we've introduced a payments product, which is now our most successful product. And three quarters of our revenue comes from payments. I would never have touched that if it wasn't for his bizarre idea. You know, the first time he brought it up, he's like, oh, we should do payments. And I'm like, oof, that's, that's in over my head. Like, <laughs> and I don't want to talk about it. But he just kept hammering on and he's like throwing more effect. And at some point I was like, yeah, actually it is a problem. And it would actually make us the outlier in the, in the industry. And we went for it and it was the best decision. And I think that's where in a, in a startup with founders and we support each other and you know, he's the one I would call at night and like, oh, you know, talk about the day that I've had because he truly understands the pains that we're going through and vice versa. Um, so having a great founder is, is really critical. What was your second question? Sorry, Aaron. Yeah, no, no, no worries. It's really this transition as we were discussing. We need to have a lot of versions of leadership teams uh, going through each stage of growth and uh, each of the members of the leadership team need also to grow themselves and become different versions of themselves. And yeah. at this stage, you are changing your role. If it was your first time being a CEO, and what changes in your own uh, personality, on your own habits, in order to become the CEO of them? So I've never led a company before. I was in a in a strong, you know, a nice corporate career. I had had large teams, um, but I'd never really set this strategy and be, you know, the end all to all of these decisions. Um, so when we started those first three, four years, it was pretty much us doing everything. And, you know, I was doing products, I was selling, I was doing support, I was doing quality assurance, literally anything that needed to get like washing the towels and the toilets, like somebody had to. So I took them home and I washed those and they came back clean every morning. And it's those little things um, that humble you in those first years. But as the scaling started happening, really two years ago, it's when it started coming in suddenly you have specialists who you need to let them do their jobs. And I think that was probably my biggest learning because I am a little bit of a control freak and I like to have my finger in everything, but I can't. Like there are now so many heads of departments. 
I cannot test the system anymore before it goes live because we deploy multiple times a day. Um, so I think the biggest lesson has been stepping away, giving people the responsibility. And yes, they may not be as good as I am um, at every job, um, but you know that's the only way to scale forward. Um, and, and the biggest learning is that I don't actually do anything. I just sit in meetings, I listen, I give my insights, and then I move on to the next meeting and I try and set the vision for the company um, and align everyone in behind the scenes. But really, what do I do? I don't, I couldn't tell you today. Correct. And this is something that every CEO that I work with is kind of obsessed about, which is, am I using my time in the right way? Now I feel very uncomfortable because I'm not doing actual stuff. And as you, you just said this, I'm going from meeting to meeting and maybe I should be doing something. And uh, there is this internal conflict pursuing them and can, kind of asking me also, what should be my agenda look like? What looks like the agenda of a CEO of this stage uh, company? Do you feel the same kind of guilty feeling that we should be doing stuff and, and not sitting in meetings? Like terribly. Like it's, <laughs> you know, like in the weekends, I spend so much time actually doing some of these things that I really missed. Like I really missed quality assurance because I am phenomenal at it. I can find any bug in a, in a system. Um, but those are like almost for me to relax from my day-to-day -day, um, meetings. So in the weekend, I'll do a quality assurance just to actually enjoy that part because I actually really missed it. Um, but I really missed doing things. But at the same time, I also love being in meetings and seeing developing the team and seeing them succeed at, at what they're doing. Like we're releasing things now. Like we just had, you know, a new branding for an event that came out and I had nothing to do with it. And I thought it was just beautiful. And it's amazing to see our team grow to the level where, you know, you just see that they get better and better and better every time if you give them the right support. And I think those things are really what makes me happy on a Friday afternoon when I see things coming into my Slack channels. And I'm like, oh, like while I was away in my meetings, they actually built things that I had nothing to do about. And I'm super happy with it. Absolutely. It's a great sense of, of, of fulfillment. And so let's move forward to, to, to the habit number two and kind of sharing the, also the habit with the audience. Uh, everyone is aligned with the number one thing that needs to be accomplished this quarter uh, to move the company forward. And of course, if we have the right team, if we have the right set of individuals or the right squad, the right uh, leadership team to think uh, about the challenges and to figure out the solution for the next stage of growth, and that it's very easy to try to do too much. And usually this is always uh, the problem. So how to prioritize. So what are the techniques or what are the discussions that you as a leadership team uh, use in order to kind of prioritize? It's OKRs, uh, it's another kind of tools. And, and, and second, is it much more driven by the CEO or uh, collectively driven or the CEO kind of sets up the direction and then you discuss how to get there. So how looks like the dynamic of the discussion about what is the number one thing that we need to get done uh, this quarter in order to get closer to our big vision, our North Star? So, so last year we introduced OKRs into the organization um, because we felt that, you know, we weren't really all aligned on what the strategy was and how we were going to, you know, choose the features that we were going to build with our product team. And we, int we introduced it and then it just didn't, it didn't click with us to, 
you know, it didn't live as a cultural thing. It became an afterthought in meetings like, oh, oh, and how about the OKRs? And, and I think that's partly because of me. I didn't embrace it fully as a leader. Um, and I do believe that the, the fish thinks from the head down. And if I don't buy into the concept of OKRs and I don't talk about it and I don't live it and make it the biggest priority, the rest also wouldn't care as much about it. So this year we said, you know, let's leave the OKRs for what they are for now, whilst we come back to the regular business and we have a, a proper roadmap in place. Um, and it's, you know, the traditional roadmap of a year in advance. And we have these features that we want to deliver. And now, what are we in seven, eight months in? We're like, mm, I miss the OKRs. Like the structure around it was actually really good. So we said, well, we obviously didn't do it right, the right way around the first time. So let's get a specialist in. So we're getting an OKR specialist in next week to re-educate our leadership team on it so that we're all aligned on what the goals are. Um, and then we're going to roll it out for Q4 again to really, and, and hopefully do it the right way. And it needs to come from my heart. And I, and I think the team needs to feel that. And I just didn't buy into it last time. And I think that's probably why it failed. Um, but, but not having OKRs or not having a framework in place also wasn't the answer is what we learned this year. That's, a, that's critical, critical, critical. And that's why I don't work with any organization if I'm not working directly with the CEO. If I'm not having a weekly call with the CEO and if the CEO is not completely 100% committed and convinced that the OKRs will make the company more successful. Yeah. Not successful, but will increase the odds of being more successful and decrease the risk. Because it's a system, as we always say, planning is uh, useful. But planning is uh, so planning is critical, but the plans are useless. I think that that's the the, the quote. Yeah, uh, which means it's much more the process of engaging and aligning with each other that is really important to prioritize, not the OKRs themselves. And of course, the process of following them and learning. Oh, maybe this is not the OKR. We are measuring the wrong thing. This is not what we really want to measure. So, when uh, updating the OKRs as we move. Or this is usually something that people are very afraid. They want to do the OKRs so, so well from day one. And this is a process. So in, yeah. in three years, your methodology, as I like to say, will not be OKRs anymore. It would be the Muse system, operating system. Uh, as, as all the companies that I'm working with, it's always their operating system. And it will be adapted to their own culture, to their own rhythm, and what works best. And it will change from stage of growth to, to stage of growth. So, yeah, like we struggled often and I like how you said it, like you adopt them to your culture. And we were like, every time that something went off the rails, we're like, no, let's go back to the rule book. And now the rules say it has to be quarterly. I'm like, well, why can't it be four, five, six months? Or, you know, and, and I think we just didn't adopt it to us. And we were trying to follow it so strictly that we're like, well, this doesn't seem to make sense for us. And I think that's a problem with every single framework. For instance, in the framework that's what, that we apply, we have some kind of decisions about strategy that start to decisions. Like there is a tool which is called the seven strata, and it asks, what is your unfair advantage? What is what are your core competencies? And usually people feel very blocked to think about it because they say, I don't know what to answer. And again, don't worry about answering, and don't worry if you are not talking about the 10x. Uh, it's really the discussion about what will differentiate us in the marketplace that is really important, and to have the strategic rhythm in place at least every quarter to think about the strategy of the company, not if your core competencies are correct, 
or if your unfair advantage is correct or not. It's, it's a process of discussing, of aligning, of getting more clarity, because if we get more clarity, we'll get better execution. If we get better execution, we'll get to our North Star uh, quicker. <laughs> nice. It's a very, very, very good point. So sorry, I'm getting excited. No, about <laughs> I like your excitement. <laughs> About about the topic. I so, wish I had that passion about OKRs. Like I'm, I'm still looking for it. <laughs> I, I, I can see you are still, and we can see in your face still figuring out. Yes, this is useful. I missed this, but I'm still getting convinced that this is the tool that will help us uh, at, at this stage. But the good thing is, uh, and I think that's something that you can uh, use as a takeaway is to turn the OKRs on news. Uh, system operating system. I think this will motivate you much more in order to implement uh, those OKRs in your own uh, style. Of course, without uh, killing the main, the key principles of uh, why they were designed as, uh, as yeah. they were. Cool. Um, I just wanted to get in very close, and, and this this gets difficult because in order to respect the time, and not make this podcast too too long uh, and the audience keep engaged during all the session. And I would like also to discuss or to ask what was the most difficult decision or strategic decision that you need to make? So as we know on this kind of discussion on this is should we go to this geo or to that geo? Should we go mid-market or enterprise? Should, uh, should I serve this industry or that industry? Should we work on those features, on those or another ones? Should we uh, grow engineering or should we grow marketing? Should we uh, structure sales at this stage or not? So uh, finding out what the hell we should do next quarter, and there is so many options, it's so difficult to take a decision, there is so much confusion, there's so much a mess around it. Uh, what was the most difficult strategic decision about all of those things that I, that I talked about that you need to make in the last 12 months? So like, so our biggest competitor is Oracle Hospitality. Um, and, you know, last year was all about hitting revenue goals and we were building features to match Oracle, you know, because, you know, in an RFP, the questions are about features that they're doing. And I think when we went into the end of that year, we were like almost disappointed because we were like, oh, that is not the innovation we were looking to build. We're now feature matching against a competitor. Um, and really saying, right, let's go into the next year. We may lose a few sales along the way if we don't build all of these features, but we should be building differentiators again. Um, and from January, we've really prioritized differentiators, but that does mean sometimes that we say, sorry, customer, we're not going to build this feature and we are willing to step away from this deal, um, which is painful because when you're in the room with a major client and we're still prioritizing differentiators, in the short term, that's really, really painful. And we're hoping that with what we're delivering by the end of this year, those are no-brain features that bring huge automation in hotels. You know, think about an online checkout. Have you ever checked out online to a hotel? Most people haven't because the systems don't enable it. And we're like, if we can cut out 50% of customers standing at a reception desk, that's a huge cost saving that we make. And yes, we may not have all the features that Oracle has, um, but you, you save a huge amount of time on the other side. Um, and I think choosing to go for differentiators um, was the big decision we made this year. And it's been, a, we've had a few painful, painful moments to, to keep supporting the, the, the decision behind it, but we've stuck to it and we are like another four or five months until the end of the year. 
um, and we're on track to deliver something major. Awesome example, and uh, I didn't say in the, sh in the beginning of the show, but I was kind of saying uh, in a body language, uh, affirming what it was just saying. I, I travel every single week, and this is a pain. So uh, waiting in the beginning, waiting at the end, asking yeah. the invoice details. So it, it's it's really painful to be a business traveler and also collecting all the invoices and uh, all of this. Uh, and it's, it, and it's usually you are tired. Your flight might be late. You need to pick a train and then it's uh, stressful. Like checking out is stressful because you got to get out and then you're in some queue and a receptionist is untrained and they don't know how to to create the bill for you and. Those things we can solve easily in the cloud, um, and 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 we will be solving it, and we'll come, we'll be coming to a hotel near you soon. <laughs> uh, so that's that that's really awesome, and uh, yeah, I can really relate and, and understand why you are growing six x and and, and three x uh, or, or more. I'm just talking about headcount uh, in terms of revenue. So let's introduce habit number three, uh, which is communication rhythm is established and information moves through organization accurately and quickly. So this habit is really all about education. If we have the right people, if we have the right priorities in place, it's all about getting things uh, done. And to get things done, we need to have regular check-ins and we need to make decisions. And we need to make it simple to make decisions and we can't overwhelm the CEO or the founders of bringing all decisions to them instead of only the key strategic decisions that should be just once or twice a quarter. But we all know, and you know as a CEO, how many decisions you need to make and how overwhelmed you might get and how energy it consumes you to make so much decisions because the decision-making process it might not be uh, in place. So what kind of weekly rhythms uh, or weekly not meeting rhythms do you have in place to kind of move forward the execution? So we, we're extremely open. Um, to the point, I just don't have a filter, so I share everything, and I, I never wanted to create this organization with lots of secrets uh, in it. So, so we're every meeting that happens inside the company, uh, if it's a team meeting, it's public. So anyone inside the company can join it. We record it, and we drop all recordings on a wow. learning Slack wow. channel, so that if you felt like you missed out on something, you can always watch back any of the meetings. Um, every Friday we have a. We call it the Amuse Bush because our company name is Muse. So we thought it was a quirky um, name play. And that's basically <laughs> our all hands. So we you know, have a half an hour where anyone can put a slide in a presentation as long as you talk fast about it because we don't want to dwindle 300 people on a long call. But through, through 30 minutes, we ramp through pretty much anything that happened last week. And then we move on with an, an open question forum for another half an hour where through Slido, you can submit anonymous questions. You can speak up in the meeting. Um, and ask questions and and nothing is off topic. Like you can literally ask me anything. I'll I'll answer pretty much anything. I, I don't think we've ever not answered a question. Sure, if we don't have an answer, I may have to dive in and and, and get an answer. Um, but that open communication is really critical. And you know, we one of the feedback we had um, was that people were frustrated because we were over communicating, um, and there was so much communication going on in Slack. So we, we said, hey, we maybe need someone to help us structure this. So this month we brought in an employee um, communications person who's really going to analyze how we communicate across our seven locations um, and what, whether there's ways to optimize, you know, is Slack the platform for scale for us or maybe we should find a different platform 
to communicate. And I think a lot of effort will go into that because it is challenging with 300 people in seven locations, which will be 10 locations by the end of the year. Um, we have to find better ways of doing it. Well done. Well done. And, um, and in terms of, of decision, do you feel this pain of having a lot of decisions that we should not make coming to you? Or even you, you're kind of having the feeling, oh, you should have talked with me before making that decision, uh, or this is not a problem. No. Like I've always been this manager, uh, like I've always, like, it's funny, we just hired this, uh, one of our managing directors in Germany, he, he came in and he, he worked for me when he was a student back in the day. And he said, you haven't changed a bit because back in the day I was like, well, here's your goal. And I don't really care how you hit the goal, but go and hit it. And like after a few weeks, he came to me, he's like, I'm a bit bored. It's like, well, we can give you some more higher goals, but <laughs> you just have to hit the goal. And I think a lot of that is, is happening here as well. We, we know what we're going for you know, I'd like to have a say in it, but I'm not going to be the one that then afterwards says, I told you that you shouldn't be doing that. We're all part of the success. Everyone is a shareholder. We, we're giving stock options to everyone and we say that to everyone. You know, is the decision something you would do if this was your own company? Because it is your own company. Um, and and people do come to me and they say, what do you think? And I, I said, I think you'll make the right decision. I said it today a few times to people. I was like, I, I won't tell you what to do you will make the right decision because you're a specialist in that field and I'm not. Um, and I probably could have answered it, but if I teach them that I will answer these questions, they'll learn to come to me and I don't want that culture. I, I also want to switch off on a Friday night and go on holiday. And I went for holiday two weeks ago and I switched off for a week and I was unreachable and it, everything works as well, right? And, and I think it is setting the example to our leaders that, yeah, you need to let your teams run. And if they make mistakes, we'll do a root cause analysis of it and we'll fix it for the future so that we will never make that mistake again. Um, but like, I try not to step on people's toes. And I, I, I do sometimes, right? I do step in and I'm like, no, this is wrong. We should go for it. Like I'm not perfect in any way, but I really try and step away from making these decisions because it makes my own life harder. Congratulations. We, we can feel uh, that you are really working hard on, on, on that and, and adding to success there. And yeah, let, let's come to the last segment of the show. Of course, for the audience that wants to know more about the another six habits, just a Google online, Rockefeller habits, or even better, go to our website, scalingfile.com, uh, go to our blog and uh, get to know more there and even summer, the summary of a lot of those these shows and of, of the lessons that we share here. So coming with, with the last part of the show, which is uh, cash. So if we have the right people on the right seats, if we are focused on the, on the right priorities, if we get things done uh, at, a, at a good pace or at very speedy, um, uh, in a very good way, uh, we just need to assure that we have fuel uh, and oxygen enough to get to the next milestone. So uh, can you just get an overview, especially the, the last uh, round and what you expect for the next? I think it's always the most interesting conversation. Lessons from the last round and what you expect that you need to achieve in order to get to, to the next one. So right. fundraising lessons, cash lessons. Oh, my favorite. Raising money is my least favorite job, but it's a really key one, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're based in Prague, Czech Republic, or that's where we started. And it was an absolute painful journey. The investment community is not great here. Um, and it was a real struggle to find money. And I think in the early day, it was good that we didn't have the money. So we had to really say no to a lot of bad ideas. Um, so it did help us prioritize. 
Um, and we really had a break once we went to the Netherlands to race our first round uh, in 2016, uh, where we found people who were backing us. But what when it really changed was when we got Notion in. Notion is a VC in London. Uh, we got them in last year. And they're a SaaS, a specialized VC, very founder focused. And they really got us. Like they, they do events. They get us in the room with an enormously talented people that we just don't have access to here. Um, so they really leveled up our understanding of the industry, what the KPIs are, um, and, and, and some real changes came from the education that they brought to our, our business. Um, and then we've just closed a round of funding now with, with Battery Ventures, which is a Silicon Valley-based fund. Um, so they, uh, they invested $33 million uh, together with our existing shareholders. Everyone followed on as well. They, you know, people are very excited about what we're doing. But what I really felt was the difference from you know the seed rounds to to today. We can open doors. Like being a Dutch company, we've we've switched from a Czech to a Dutch company. That was a great decision because the perception, unfortunately, uh, of a Czech company, people didn't understand it because there's not much. Uh, we have a unicorn on the successful exit in in Czech Republic, Avant, if I'm not wrong. Avast, yeah. But sorry. Yeah, no, uh, they're yeah. very successful. Yeah. Like, yeah. and we're still here. Like we're still with a, a large core team here in Czech Republic, but it was just easier being a Dutch company They just open doors faster. Um, and like, because the revenue numbers are there, um, people find us, like they have these scrollers on LinkedIn. They see how fast our employee count grows versus what we were invested into. Um, and obviously they make the, the calculation saying, hey, you know, they only raised 6 million in their series A but they have 150 100, you know, to 200 employees. So we got a lot of outreach from VCs um, with the, before the round B. We really um, spend a lot of time in Paris, in London, in Amsterdam, um, and, and which was good. We saw the right interest. And then we crossed the pond and we went to New York and we went to Silicon Valley. And that was an eye opener for us. They really, at our level of business, they understood the potential upside um, was much bigger than what the Europeans saw. Um, and we really, at that, once we were a week in, in Silicon Valley, we're like, oh my God, everyone really understands our vision. And yes, we have, we're, you know, we're crazy guys. We have massive ambitions of what we want to achieve. And the Americans just grasp it. And we did, by the end of that week, we said, let's just decline anyone in Europe at this point, because um, for now, we really want to focus on getting this American energy into the group um, who really understand what we were doing. Um, and I think that was a good decision for this Series B. And probably with the next round, we'll really primarily focus on these funds in Silicon Valley because they are next level for us. Got it. And in terms of milestones, what, what do you think were the, the key milestones to raise Series B? Or as we were saying, if we have the metrics, we are in a very good position uh, to raise the round. So what, what were the main milestones that you achieved in order to successfully raise Series B? And to shoot the investors that you want. So, so revenue we'd been growing consistently, but it hadn't been a bottled formula. And I think when we talked to Battery, probably about a year and a half ago, they looked at us for the previous round. They'd walked away very early on because it just wasn't a scalable formula. Like they, they loved our passion, um, and and they walked away because they just didn't see that if I throw a hundred thousand euros at this, what the outcome could be. And this time round, when we got them in the room they'd seen we'd really scaled up our, our scalable commercial teams and, 
and everything was working. Like, you know, we knew exactly what our cost of acquisition was and, and how we can scale that up in different markets. We'd open up multiple offices. And I think they were really connected with us having figured out on the one side, the revenue model, we figured out how we can scale that revenue. But one of the down, one of the challenges we still face is, is the margins, of course, where we're, you know, explosively spending money on growth and our margins aren't ideal for a company. And probably going to a series C in two years time, the one thing that, you know, people are not expecting profitability, but they're definitely expecting a trend towards profitability more than what we're having today. And I think that's what will be the focus beyond the growth. That's really a great summary to explain the difference in, uh, between Series B and, uh, and, and Series C. So I will not add nothing to that. So let's come in with, with the last question of the show, which is already a tradition here. So if you ever have the opportunity to meet yourself, I, I would say three years ago when you became uh, the CEO of Muse, uh, what, would you, what, what advice would you offer yourself? <laughs> I think I'd probably say that I need to chill out a little bit. I uh, <laughs> like the journey of a startup, like it's been very heavy on your social life um, or the lack thereof. Um, and every, like I wanted to have my finger in everything as we grew and, and the lack of money, it's super stressful uh, not been knowing where the next paycheck for the team is coming from. Um, but there's always answers to everything. And in the early days, because you've never gone through it, you think literally your company could die in the next two weeks. And yes, we've been in some really sticky situations, um, but like what's, what's great with Richard, he has that natural ability to somehow solve all these issues. And I need to chill out a little bit because that stress is not healthy. Uh, I've grayed rapidly in the last few years <laughs> of years. And it's because I just take things too seriously. And, and you know, there's answers for everything. That's the one thing I've learned shit still goes wrong but you can always find an answer or a solution to to these things um and and i'd say calm down okay amazing people are always the bottleneck or the leverage in a scaling up machine and we can see uh how amazing you are doing uh, and your team and leading your team to achieve those results Congrats, Matt. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show and we hope to have you back at least next year to talk about the challenges of the next stage of growth and <laughs> with 1,000 uh, and hopefully getting quite close to 100 million ARR to, to share uh, or even getting closer to IPO. Let's, let's dream a little bit uh, bigger uh, and maybe it's, it's not, uh, it, it's a small dream compared to your big or big area. <laughs> at this stage cool uh, thank you so much again thank you very much and to our community just wanted to say thank you so for joining us today thank you for your patience uh, patience for our long uh, episode as you see I even need to control myself to not ask too many questions uh, I think there is so many lessons that we want to extract for, for you and you can always watch those episodes on SoundCloud, listen on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn and so on. So stay tuned and uh, have a nice weekend. Take care. <laughs>